This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. There's a healing for all of us in recognizing our need and our need and our giftedness so that we can give those to one another. So God on the one hand is the healer and also really entrusts a lot of healing work to us with one another. What does healing look like? Is it simply physical or is something else going on? In this conversation with author Amy Julia Becker, she and I chat about the holistic healing that Jesus offers, the wellness industry, and a few practical steps that we can take to begin to unite our bodies, souls, and spirits. Listen in to this conversation with Amy Julia. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. In this season of the Finding Holy Podcast, we are exploring themes about going back in order to move forward. So whether we're looking backwards in time, in history, through theology, or even in our own stories, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to embrace our past so we can embrace our future. Stay with us. I am excited to welcome Amy Julia Becker to the podcast, and we are talking about her most recent book called To Be Made Well, An Invitation to Wholeness, Healing, and Hope. Thanks so much for being here. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. So tell us about where this book came from. I love, you know, I love if you wanted to share with some of our listeners, maybe some of your own stories of healing, the ways in which you have discovered how your body kind of manifests deeper pains. Yeah. I mean, the book starts uh, in chapter one. It starts with actually something that happened throughout my um, high school uh, teenage years. But chapter one is about me as like a 30-something mom with a lot of lower back pain that I was attributing to like picking my kids up and tweaking something or, you know, um, not having a strong enough core or whatever, and eventually realizing that it was, um, it may have had to do with some of those things, but it had much more to do with some emotional and spiritual angst that I was not even aware of or didn't want to pay attention to. And once I started to um, recognize that connection, there was a lot of healing that began, not just in terms of not feeling pain in my back anymore, which was wonderful, but it was like mm -hmm. an invitation to say, okay, if my life is out of alignment, what do I want to do about that? And where is God in the midst of all of this? And since then, I've just been much more attuned to the idea that my body is often sending me messages about my emotions and my spiritual life. And so that mm -hmm. might be anything from 
Um, I went through a season where I got sick either with strep throat or a sinus infection, pretty much on like a two month rotation. And I don't think it was something where it was like there was some direct emotional and spiritual cause for each one of those illnesses, Mm -hmm. but there was a pattern and it was not just about germs, right? Like it was like, you know, and it, it did have to do with the way I was treating my body. I even had a feeling of like, I have so much going on. It would be really helpful if I could get sick right now. Like (laughs) that would be awesome because then I could rest. And so Mm -hmm. I started paying attention to those types of thoughts and being like, well, how about you rest instead of getting sick? Because (laughs) resting with strep throat is a lot less pleasant than just resting and being able to then show up for your life. So those are some pretty mundane examples, but those things definitely got me thinking about the relationship of the mind, the body, and the spirit, the relationship Mm -hmm. of the self to the community. Um, But it also led me back to the healing stories of Jesus in the gospel to really take a look at those and ask what's going on, not just in Mm -hmm. his day, but also for our day now. Yeah. And so you, you really spent a lot of time throughout the book talking about the healing of Jairus and the bleeding woman or Jairus's daughter rather. But, um, you know, one thing I just really appreciated about your book too, is that you know, when we talk about ideas of wellness, when we talk about ideas of healing, we tend to compartmentalize it, like you're saying, between body, mind, and soul. Um, and that as you've been studying these narratives of Jesus's healing, there's a sense in which they are very holistic. Um, and also yeah. that they're not just for one type of person. I so appreciated, you know, the you know, like Luke's Beatitudes, right? Where it's like, blessed are the poor, right? And Matthew talks, mm-hmm. talks about poor in spirit, but we can tend to think, you know, women like that, people like the bleeding woman are the ones that really get Jesus's mm-hmm. compassion. Um, but it's not limited uh, to to those on the outskirts of society um, in that he also meets Jairus, right? Um, so yeah, talk to us a little bit about this kind of universal desire for healing that's holistic and what Jesus offers these in these stories that you investigate more more thoroughly in your book. Yeah, I I was really struck by that. You know, I've always noticed in that story, this is in Mark chapter 5 and it shows up in all um Mark, Matthew and Luke, but um that there's this kind of pair of healings and there are lots of ways to compare them and to contrast them but what i think is so interesting is this sense of Jairus and the woman you know he's rich she's poor he has a name she doesn't he has a house she doesn't you know all of that and yet they also both come to Jesus in a position of desperate need and i do think that one of the reasons we don't imagine people whether it's with the wealth of like material things or of education or of status which often go together but even if they don't um there is it's a hard it's a, i think harder to acknowledge need from a position of wealth or education or status we're kind of taught right. not to like this is the way to take care of yourself rather than to have needs and so jairus when his daughter is sick and dying comes to a place of need and he so not only acknowledges uh, the, the hurt that and the need that he has, but he also knows to turn to Jesus. And there's a sense of um, recognizing not just in Jairus, but when we think about some of the other wealthy people who come to Jesus, Zacchaeus comes to mm-hmm. mind um, throughout the Gospels, this sense of Jesus, yeah, his healing is available for everyone. But he's also pretty clear, like, I've come for the sick, 
not for the healthy. Like you think you're healthy. You don't need me. You're not going to get anything from me. Not because I'm not willing yeah. to give it, but because you don't know you need it. Um, and even just the, to your point about the um, holistic nature of Jesus's healing, Zacchaeus, who is also a wealthy man, very different from Jairus because he's a tax collector rather than a synagogue leader, but nevertheless, a wealthy man who comes to Jesus with a, really curiosity, mm-hmm. actually, at that point, probably more than need. But when Jesus says to him, salvation has come to your house, it's the same word that he uses when he talks about the bleeding mm-hmm. woman being mm-hmm. healed. And so there's a sense of, again, there was mm-hmm. healing that came to Zacchaeus's house when he gave away half of his possessions and recognized his need for mm-hmm. Jesus. And I think it's that same holistic healing that's available for Jairus. There's a sense, um, one of the things I kind of took away mm-hmm. myself from writing this book is like healing is for each of us, like it's individualized in a lot of our particularities, our particular needs and wants and um, hopes and fears and all of those things. But it's also for Mm -hmm. all of us. It is not um, simply for people who are poor. It's not simply for people who are in um, chronic pain or experiencing illness, right? There's a healing that Mm -hmm. we all need um, in our encounter with God, with one another and with ourselves. And I believe that Jesus really does want to bring that, but it's also for us in like so it's for each of us and it's for all of us and Jairus and this woman give us a wonderful way mm-hmm. to explore that mm-hmm. theme. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about how how we've maybe misconstrued this idea of healing and how we can begin to get a, an imagination again for Jesus actually healing mm-hmm. all of us and not you know all parts of ourselves. And then I think in a minute we'll talk about what that means for community, which I love too. But you know, as we think about the ways in which you know, we have so medicalized and not that medication is bad, but how we have Mm -hmm. said, okay, there's a problem with my body and therefore I need to like take a pill to solve this problem. How do we begin to get an imagination for kind of the interrelated parts of who we are as human beings and that Jesus can meet us and actually heal us in deep ways, even if maybe we still are getting a sinus infection? Yeah. I think for me, the, um, Lens of disability has actually been a helpful way into this question. I have a daughter with Down syndrome, as you know, um, and knowing that people are praying for her healing as if she needs something different than I do. um, Maybe that's not true anymore. She's 16 now, but that was certainly true when she was born. And Mm -hmm. um, it, it really caused me to just question, well, wait, does she need healing from Down syndrome or does she need healing because her ears are filled with fluid and she can't hear anything. Like that's a pretty particular need for her particular body. It might be related to having down syndrome, but it's not that like this down syndrome itself needs to be healed. And so in similar ways, I might need healing. Um, But again, that led me not just to think about the bodily aspects of things, but to recognize the ways in which I needed some healing that she didn't need when it Mm -hmm. came to my understanding of my belovedness and you know, mm-hmm. I've been someone who's just tried to work for everything um, and had to chase after that and experience a fair amount of like shame and anxiety along the way and recognizing that that's a way in which I need healing. So I mm-hmm. back to what you were saying about um, the medicalization of healing. On the one hand, I agree with you. I mean, 100 percent like we it's such a blessing that we have antibiotics, that we have antidepressants, that we have surgeries, that we have ways in which we can um, attend to physical need. But a lot of the time, I think those medications and therapies and, um, you know, procedures 
are a way to interrupt pain so that we can pay attention to our need for healing. Mm. Um, so that like for me, I can take antibiotics and then get strep throat again in two months, or the antibiotics can interrupt the strep throat, like make, and, and I can say, are there some ways that I need to pay attention to my body so that I don't get strep throat again? Mm -hmm. And those are not medical, like for the most part. I mean, it might have to do with like making dietary changes that are, you know, more building my immune system or something, but it really probably has to do with rest. It probably has to do with connecting with other people. It might have to do with anxiety and actually not living in a place of like hyped up stress all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I do think there's um, in a variety of different ways for me, recognizing that healing is very different than curing. Mm. Um, that there's a biomedical role for curing illness and disease. Um, it can't always happen. And we have a lot of people in chronic pain and illness situations where the biomedical complex is not really helping them. And if anything, it's shaming them into thinking if you just, you know, did something better or different, you'd be, be you'd be well. Mm -hmm. Um, but also even if it can, that doesn't necessarily, I mean, as we know, even with the advent of modern medicine, we have a lot of people who are unhappy. We all still die. Many of us are still in a lot of physical pain. Like yeah. these problems have not been solved by medicine. Right. And, and yet there is something I think deeper and wider and more important even that, um, mm -hmm. that God has to offer us in that. What do you make of the modern wellness industry? I mean, it's, it's interesting because there's both this obsession with this idea of wellness um and so many things that we're supposed to buy to to stay well or to be well or to you know optimize our lives um and and there is also this huge sense of like not actually having the ability to ask those questions about what's what's going on what you know when my stomach is in knots for instance or why am I always experiencing back pain um well, yeah, what do you make of that both obsession and fear of actually engaging maybe some root causes? Yeah, I mean, again, I think there are some things that the wellness industry has brought our attention to in terms of especially maybe a better understanding of holistic health, of mm -hmm. the way we can use our bodies in terms of something like yoga or even just walking, breathing. I think there's some great things. But yep. A, I do think there's like a very much an industry at work here. And that's something yep. to always pay attention to when things are monetized, which is not to say it's bad, but just like, okay, um, note to self. But also... um. I would say that at the center of healing is an understanding of our belovedness. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that the wellness industry is getting us there, right? right? right. Like it might yep. be circling around. It might open some doors that it would allow us to get there. So that's one thing. The second thing that I would say is um, John Swinton, who's a, a theologian of disability and um, kind of memory care, memory loss, um, writes about how, you know, you can be a hedonistic tri-varsity college athlete who is not well, Mm -hmm. And you can be a person with multiple disabilities and chronic pain who is in right relationship with God and with other people, mm -hmm. you are the healthy one. Like yep. if you yep. are in those right relationships. And I think the wellness industry can also make us think that once I lose those five pounds by eating my vegan diet and, you know, um, drinking my kombucha, then I am made well. And it's like, right. well, what if you've like ignored your children in the process or um, have, you know, 
just not been able to even like participate at the church supper because they're not eating food that is according to your wellness or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. I think there, we can still limit ourselves to an understanding of like perfect bodies, perfect, um, or, you know, kind of, um, diets that are exactly right, that are following the rules, mm -hmm. exercise regimes, the same thing that kind of, again, leaves us on the surface instead of taking us to that depth of um, mm -hmm. healing that really does center on love. What sort of practices do you practice to get your head out of, you know, these are maybe surface and maybe doorways into greater wellness, but what sort of things might you do to, you know, be able to turn off some of those messages to begin to actually ask yourself good questions about healing and wellness and um, and faith and what God might want to do in, in you? Yeah, it's uh, a great question. And I for me, the um, I have to think a lot. And even just what I just said, I have to think a lot. I think a lot. I spend a lot of time in my head. Yeah. And so um, bringing prayer into my body and bringing my body into my head, like kind of awareness. Um, and here are some practices that I, that's important for me. Here are some ways that I do that. One is when I do actually feel um, sick or just a place of tension in my body to pay attention to that and to ask, mm -hmm. okay, what are, what is going on? What, you know, cause I'll often think, oh, you know, my shoulders are tight because I've been sitting at my desk too long typing on my computer. And it's like, well, didn't you spend the same amount of time last week at your computer and they weren't tight? Like, is there something that you are mm -hmm. carrying, whether that's like what you're literally working on at your computer or some other thing going on in your life? And is there a way that you could bring that to God in prayer in terms of what does it mean for like us to carry one another's burdens? What does it mean to share a yoke with Jesus? Like um, really literally thinking very physically, what are some passages from scripture that can connect to mm -hmm. whatever I'm experiencing in my body? So how can I bring my body to God in prayer? And also how can I bring prayer into my body? Another practice I have is um, the Ignatian examine, which is a practice of looking over the day and asking when did I feel um, kind of particularly aware of God's presence and when did I not experience that? That over time, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say on a daily basis, has helped me to connect mind, body, and spirit. But over time, it has helped me become so much more aware of God's presence, which I think is essentially an awareness of love, which is something that leads to healing. So um, mm -hmm. and then the last thing I'll say, I mean, I could go on and on, but the last thing I'll say is some practice of Sabbath. Uh, I don't think that, again, needs to be according to a rule book of 24 exact hours or even, um, you know, necessarily on a certain day of the week, but that for me, I have found that when I actually, especially, um, put my phone to bed for, um, yeah. some period of time, I mean, I, I sleep, <laughs> I mean, I, I literally yeah. sleep more. I take a nap. I pay more attention to my children. I'm just much more aware. Um, so that practice of Sabbath has made me not only more aware of my body, but also of my spirit um, in some mm -hmm. pretty important ways that I think have contributed to mm. some healing. Mm. Those, yeah, those are really great, helpful and practical starting places. Thanks for that. Are you worn out by hurry and hustle, and yet you don't know what it looks like to find a better way? Well, Jasmine Holmes called my book, A Spacious Life, balm for a weary soul. Tisharison Warren called it a needed tonic, and Jen Pollock-Michelle talks about it as rescuing us from the siren call of self-help. 
Join these women as they have experienced both their own limits and seen how my book, A Spacious Life, helps all of us to embrace the goodness of our God-given limits. Find out more at aspacious.life. That's aspacious.life. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Um, one thing as well, is, which is so important, and I think we tend to neglect, at least maybe in North American contexts, but the sense that healing isn't just for ourselves, right? That um, it's for us. Uh, it's for community. And the sense of being restored to community um, so what is that nature of communal healing? And you'd write about it a little bit too in, in your other book on mm-hmm. privilege. Um, and there's a connection there. So yeah. Do you want to tease that out yeah, for us? Absolutely. What does it look um, like to experience communal healing? Yeah. So that was something that actually, again, when our daughter Penny was born and diagnosed with Down syndrome, I was introduced to this idea of like the social model of disability that like we, as a person who is white and educated and able-bodied, I tended to think of disability as a problem that was located in the bodies of people with Down syndrome or other disabilities. And the social model would say the problem is the rest of us. The problem is a society that is built without uh, both literal um, methods of welcome, like a ramp or a curb cut or um, a way for someone who is um, using a translator, you know, an ASL translator or something like that to navigate a space. Um, but also in terms of our, the posture of our hearts, as far as welcome and belonging. And I began to really see that, uh, when it came to Penny. So that's again, more of a zoomed in or magnified version of this Mm -hmm. experience of healing that can come through community rather than through medical acts or even through like an interpersonal, you know, just me and my relationship with God. I think another thing that um, hints at this communal healing is, well, I mean, really throughout the scriptures, but when Jesus um, and Paul talk about, when Paul writes about the body of Christ, that that's who we are, that we are Mm -hmm. like so intimately interconnected that when one member of the body is hurting, it really should affect the whole thing. I mean, if you think about it, just your pinky finger gets slammed in a door your whole body is experiencing that pain that is incredibly located in like an incredibly small part of your body. And if we think about the pain that like the rest of the world, the rest of the body of Christ is experiencing and how disconnected we feel from that, like there's something wrong Mm -hmm. with the body 
of believers if we mm-hmm. are that disconnected right. from that pain. And so again, there are these kind of metaphors for the communal healing. We also look at language, um, or not language, but data around loneliness and the health outcomes for loneliness. Like there really are things mm-hmm. that huge impacts of people coming around one another, whether that's the med- like um, Bessel van der Kolk wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which is about trauma yeah. and trauma abuse victims. And he writes a lot about how, yeah, like we need to use some drugs often to interrupt um, some thought patterns, but unless there are other people involved in caring with relationships and with physicality in this person, they will not ever heal. There's not a drug can never get you all the way to healing. Mm -hmm. Other people Mm -hmm. have to be involved. And I think we see that when Jesus continuously heals people in the context of community sending people to the priests so they can be reintegrated into a religious Mm -hmm. community. Um, Even Mm -hmm. the widow of Nain, when her son is brought back to life, it says Jesus gave him to his mother. It's like, we, I'm restoring Mm -hmm. a family relationship here. So there's a tremendous emphasis throughout Jesus's healings. They can seem like these isolated individuals, but they're really not. I mean, they're very much people who are being sent into and back into community. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I think is so great too, when we, when we take a look at Jesus's miracles, um, you you can get the sense, right, that they're like these supernatural things, but they really aren't. They're actually the most, right, natural things. It's, it's the restoration, not only of bodies, but of, you know, the created order, like Mm -hmm. how it should be, right. And, and communities as well. So I think that's so important to remember that our healing isn't just for ourselves, you know, for our own physicality or you know our own kind of us and Jesus um but it is it is to create something communal that it is to be that we are better together that you know in institutions and families um that we have a common purpose and we're being somehow restored to that uh rather than yeah you know just kind of we feel good and we're you know living life well <laughs> well and i think we have this kind of american um, but, but like we can put a Christian spin on American individualism and yep. think of ourselves as like who we are supposed to be before God even is some like hyped up individual without needs. Yeah. Um, as if we like, I mean, I, I used to think about going to heaven and being essentially a superhero right. where I was like, and I started pushing that thought and was like, so I want to be an autonomous individual who can like leap buildings in a single bound. Like, what does that have to do with loving God, being loved by God and loving my neighbor? Like, right. because that's really the vision of heaven that Jesus gives me. And again, people who are vulnerable and needy and aware of that are far more likely to embody um, that experience of interrelated communal uh, participation, reciprocal, mutual love relationships than me if I exclude myself from that because I'm over here working hard to not have any needs. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah what would you say? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think there's a healing for all of us mm-hmm. in recognizing our need and our mm-hmm. need and our giftedness so that we can give those to one another. So God, on the one hand, is the healer and also really entrusts a lot of healing work to us with one another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Like that whole body metaphor. Um, yeah. Or, you know, that we're built into a house, like that we're all individual mm-hmm. stones, but we are actually composite structure as well. Um, you know, as, as you're talking, um, I'm just thinking there's, 
a lot of listeners who probably are just feeling worn out and worn down um, by the pandemic. If you can tell, I have my own nasal congestion going on. You know, our bodies show up. Um, just we're exhausted. We're tired. Um, and so folks who are listening and say, yes, I want to be healed by Jesus. I want to be restored to community. Um, but I have no idea how to get there. What yeah. would you, I mean, you talk a little bit about just the importance of even acknowledging pain kind of as a first, as a first step. So what would you say might be just some very small practical steps that listeners could take, you know, and keep in their back pocket about reaching out for healing, being needy, um, acknowledging and paying attention to their bodies, um, and to, you know, to begin to see healing holistically and for the community as well. Yeah. So I do think they're, you know, it kind of in the, the three simple steps model of thinking about healing personally and communally is to begin with that. Where does it hurt? Um, like in your body, but also in your community, where does it hurt? Where, where do we see pain? Where do we see division? Let's acknowledge that. Um, so that we can ask for help. And that might be help from God in terms of just like a prayer. It might be, um, but I think we need to remember it's also help from other people. And so again, that might be true individually, but especially when we start to see pain within our communities, which I think many of us are seeing, whether that is some of the um, social, political, racial divisions that we've, um, I think, become more aware of in recent years, uh, or whether that's pain in our community in the sense of like, you know, friends who are getting divorced or a church community that has split, or, you know, we can, it doesn't have to be those more public um, or political events to ask not just um, where does it hurt, but also how can we ask for help collectively? So um, that might mean finding one person or a group of people who's going to pray about something for a while, just to say, I don't even know what to do, but we're going to come together around this common hurt and we're going to pray, we're going to lament, we're going to confess, and we're going to ask for help. And then the mm -hmm. final thing I would say is to participate in healing because I, again, I don't think healing depends upon us alone. It certainly depends upon God's love. And yet God really doesn't trust a lot of that work to us um, and invites us into it. And so when we are, I think, asked to participate in healing, that might be something like, again, bringing our bodies to God in prayer, but it also can be something like, okay, I'm going to talk to the person at church about having a um, wheelchair accessible entrance uh, because we really want to welcome this group of people to our church that may have been excluded for many years. I mean, th those are small steps, mm -hmm. but um, becoming aware of what is dividing us. Or I'm going to, you know, sponsor a conversation for listening between people who seem to be on different um, sides of an issue. And we're going to have a time of prayer after that or, or whatever it is. I mean, that list mm -hmm. is long, but I think thinking about it in terms of like, what's the small step that I could take to participate in healing? I think those are really helpful, practical steps. Um, would you speak to about what does it look like to begin to recognize that we are loved by God? You know, you talked mm -hmm. about the, the center for healing is to recognize and live from a sense of we are God's beloved yeah. children. So how do we do that? Like for those of us maybe... I mean, you know, I wrote a book all about like achieving too, you know, and just like that this life of hustle and hurry and achieving and performance does not actually get, it does not solve any of our soul's problems. Um, so how do we kind of get out of that mindset and to begin practically to live out of that love? 
Yeah. So for, you know, for people who are Christians who have kind of some measure of like devotional time, I do think that there are some um, individual practices that we can implement to experience uh, and connect to God's love. They can be contemplative prayer around something like, you know, from first John four, God is love. And just Mm -hmm. like sitting with that phrase for 10 minutes um, daily for a while uh, or something from First Corinthians 13, love is patient, um, just really meditating on some of those ideas and passages. Similarly, doing some kind of imaginative contemplation with some of the healing stories from the Gospels where we see what love looks like in mm. terms of Jesus's willingness to touch and speak to and acknowledge people who might be otherwise um, overlooked and even despised within their society. I think we see what love looks like. But I also think we can experience love in the way, like we take First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, uh, keeps no record of wrongs, all of that list of kind of um, ideas or ways to see love. And we can see that out in the world. And that can be true among Christians, but it can also be true just more broadly. And mm-hmm. so there is a sense of looking for the love of God in our everyday lives with that language of when Mm, I see mm. patience, when I see kindness, when I see a lack of judgment um, and a willingness to forgive, I am actually seeing the love of God, whether I'm experiencing that for myself or seeing it in other people. Similarly, receiving love from other people, uh, Mm -hmm. letting other people love us, especially when we're feeling needy and like we don't deserve it. That Mm. is a way for us to say, oh yeah, that is what God wants to do for us. Like that's how God sees me. Um, so those are a couple of things that come to mind as far as just um, practicing the experience of being loved and not having to earn our mm-hmm. belovedness. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I remember when our fourth child came home from the NICU, uh, yeah, a friend scrubbed our toilets right and I was just so needy at that point right that that I was not like oh no I will do it <laughs> it was like great thank you please you know I think those the ability to receive love especially those of us who kind of maybe grew up in Christian subcultures that that focus on giving so much to the exclusion that we don't know how to receive that might be a really helpful spiritual practice to practice yeah. receiving well thank you so much your book is it's thoughtful, it's readable, it's practical. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with it and hope that it has a long life. Um, Mm -hmm. But as we conclude, I'd love to hear your laundry routine as we think about integrating the mundane and, you know, the practical and the spiritual all together. So what's your laundry routine look like these days? You kind of warned me about this question and I'm like, huh, you know, I wish I had a better laundry routine. I have all these ideas for laundry routines. Like (laughs) on Mondays, everybody, you know, pulls together and does our laundry and then we fold it. And I did last night, I folded laundry with Penny and Marilee. Um, But that I cannot call that routine. The routine is that when I run out of um, workout clothes, I put laundry in and then it sits in a basket and goes unfolded for many days yes. while we're pulling things out of the yes. yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, 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 the only thing I have a routine about is there are a couple items that like can't go in the dryer. Yeah. So I do have a special laundry bag Ooh. that goes those items because otherwise, you know, it can go bad. And then I, you know, wait a while. And the last thing I'll say about my laundry routine is for anyone who does not use dry L, I'm a big dry L fan. 
It is like a, so you don't have to go to the dry cleaner uh-huh. situation. Uh-huh. So if you have a spot on your sweater yeah. that needs to be dry cleaned, you have to take it to the dry cleaner. Right. But if it just like smells a little bit musty or sweaty or smoky or something, dry out okay. is fantastic. That's, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to write it down. I love it. It's like a good, good life hack. There dry you out. Go. Okay. Yes. Okay. We got it. We got it. I'll, I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes too. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being with us and for helping us think practically about healing um, and to really offer us hope for for something bigger than just simply kind of a quick fix or or one aspect of ourselves. Um, Your book really is so life-giving and I'm excited to see where it goes. So thank you. Thank you. It was great to be here. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Amy Julia Becker. You can grab a copy of her book, To Be Made Well, at the link in the show notes. And I want to leave you and re- with one small step and reiterate those few questions that Amy Julia asked us to consider. As we begin to pull back some of the layers of the pain points in our own lives and the lives of our families, our churches, our neighborhoods, and even in national and global scale, It's important that we begin to unite our bodies, our souls, and our spirits, and to begin to pay attention and to not simply try to busy our way out of our pain or even try to just simply solve physical pain with physical answers. Instead, we are whole creatures. And so Amy Julia offers us those three practical questions, and I want to maybe focus on one for you this week. The first question is to ask ourselves, where does it hurt? And whether it's your body, your community, your church, ask the question, what does it look like? What does that pain look like? The second question is, how can we ask for help collectively and begin to see yourself not only as belonging to yourself, (laughs) but actually we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to others. And so what does it look like to ask for help collectively? And thirdly, Amy Julia invites us to participate in our own healing. The bleeding woman had to reach out and touch Jesus. Jairus had to come with his need for his daughter. Zacchaeus had to come down from a tree. And so healing is not the waving of a magic wand. But I hope that as you begin to unpack some of these questions, maybe even just start with that very first one, where does it hurt that you will begin to experience the reunification of your body, mind, and soul, and that we'll be able to take some really small steps to practice healing in our communities. Thanks for being here. It would be an honor if you could just take a second and to rate and review the Finding Holy podcast on Apple Music or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps more people find great content, thoughtful conversations, and practical ways forward. Remember, friends, all of these big things matter, but so does your laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.